I hope they hit rock bottom as quickly as humanly possible. I had no more Oxycontin. I had no more money. I was at the low of the low. And I called my parents and I said, I need help. I, I'm addicted to Oxycontin. I need to go to rehab. Drug and alcohol addiction is not a problem of substance. Drug and alcohol addiction is a problem with the mind and the spirit. Working one-on-one -on -one with this mentor, his name is Steve, is what changed my life entirely. I told him my number, which was, I thought, an outrageous number at the time. And equity, I told him a really high number and we settled halfway. Then I started at 10X Health and became president. Don't ask someone to be a mentor. Don't ask them a question if you were not willing to execute on the advice that they give you. You become an excellent salesperson. You can now sell to your employees to motivate them to make more money for you. You have to understand what metric you're optimizing for and what your actual goal is because you can't hit what you can't see. The results of that are what would help someone predict their death. You know, this is hundreds of different biomarkers. The only supplement I'll say that's right for everybody, truly everybody, And we are back with the Frankie Lee podcast coming to you live from Miami. I've got the man here, the former president of 10X Health, Wade Houston. Welcome to your apartment, your beautiful apartment, man. It's uh, great to be here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to have you. Mate, it's, uh, it's, mate, you've had an eventful life, to say the least. You've, you've had numerous challenges you've had to overcome to even get to the point where you've got this beautiful apartment with this beautiful view. Um, let's take it way back in your journey because obviously... How you started and where you are completely polar opposites. Like, give me a bit of an insight and the, and the audience a bit of an insight into your journey because obviously you started off experiencing a lot of like drug addictions and, and and things like this that you had to overcome. Yeah, I had a, a pretty crazy path. I mean, as you and I were just talking about, sports really defined my upbringing. You know, hockey was my life. I was obsessed with football. I got really good grades in school. Grew up in a great family, and then I got into high school and I started smoking weed and partying. Um, alcohol really took over. You know, I got three DUIs before I was 21, multiple assault charges. I got recruited to play hockey, went to prep school, got kicked out of prep school, kicked out of college, uh, kicked off my junior hockey team. I just was a mess. And uh, I quit drinking at 24, and, and I got addicted to painkillers right before that. And uh, so at 23... I was on my third stint of college. I was going to a community college, wasn't playing sports, lost my identity, uh, and, I sat, and I got addicted to Oxycontin. And this started from a poker game. So uh, we used to play poker, and everyone would put $10 in the middle. There was eight people. And one of the kids who bought in said, uh, I don't have $10, but I have an Oxycontin 80. This is worth $80. I'll put this in the middle, and then I'll take the cash out. And whoever wins the game will, uh, will get the 80 and we were all like, okay, that's fine. What, you know, what exactly is that? And he said, it's like a Percocet or a Vicodin. Well, little did we know, if you've ever seen anything about Oxycontin back in the day and the epidemic that was started with, with Purdue Pharma, it's synthetic heroin. And so I won that game, and I did a little bit of it, and I was immediately addicted, and I was off to the races. So it was literally like one hit of this drug and your whole life span on its head. Have you ever seen the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper? Yep, yeah. So he goes from a degenerate bum to Senator Edward Moore, where he's 10 steps ahead of everybody else, incredibly focused. And most people, when they do Oxycontin, have a similar reaction to heroin. It's a downer. It's something that makes them tired and lethargic. My hyper ADHD personality and just the way that I'm wired, that drug would make me super focused. It would make me have energy. It would make me think 10 steps ahead. And so I went from becoming super addicted to Oxycontin to managing a bank, and then I became an accountant. At this time, I'm in school, and I'm also managing rental properties. 
who are rented out by drug dealers for cash. So I'm doing all of these things while being addicted to Oxycontin, operating at a very high level at 23 years old, but I couldn't get off the couch if I didn't have Oxycontin. And as with any drug story, your, your supply gets cut off. You know, we used to have a girl from Texas send us 500 Oxycontin 80s in the mail in Skittles bags, in big Halloween-sized Skittles bags, every two weeks. That's $40,000 of street drugs every two weeks. Just, and, just to keep you and your friends going. Yeah, that was, I mean, we would sell some, but yeah, we started getting, you know, I ended up doing five Oxycontin 80s a day, which is like a $500 plus habit per day. And when that got cut off, I found myself robbing kids at gunpoint. I was always carrying a gun at this point in my life, but robbing kids at gunpoint. And then I got robbed. I had no more Oxycontin. I had no more money. I was at the low of the low or at one of the lows of my life. And I called my parents and I said, I need help. I, I'm addicted to Oxycontin. I need to go to rehab. And that was my first stint at rehab and getting introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, court mandated after rehab. And what was it like for as a child growing up for you? Were your parents together? Was it? Uh, I have the most beautiful upbringing. You know, my parents are happily married today. They own a, a marketing and promotional agency together. Um, my, both of my parents taught us incredible manners and incredible love. You know, my mother's just showed me unconditional love my whole life. Um, and my father was very, very strict with me, you know, throughout my upbringing, um, but instilled a lot of really good, you know, skills within me. And then I have a younger sister who has been one of my best friends my whole life. We've been super, super close now through some of my misguided actions and drug addiction. My, my relationship with my family was diminished for sure. Um, but I've, I've rebuilt it on this path that we'll talk about. I mean, how much is your mindset polar flipped? I mean, when you're in this drug induced, uh, coma so to speak you're comatized to this, this drug abuse where was your only th- thought process in that moment is how do i get more of this drug because i need to get high and you kind of take your eye off your family your friends and your, your health and everything else suffers around it because your only key focus is like i cannot operate without this this drug that's it I think, so drug addiction and alcoholism is uh, predicated on extreme selfishness and self-centeredness. Despite loving my family, wanting the best for my family, I showed up for every holiday, even when I was fucked up. Like, I was there for my family, but nothing was more important than drugs. I had a girlfriend who I didn't even see at the time, because all I could think about was, where's my next Oxycontin going to come from? And the only thing I wanted to do was play poker, drink Arizona iced teas, eat Caramello bars, and snort Oxycontin. That was literally my whole life for a year and a half. What would your advice be then to someone listening to this who feels like they're getting over, overtaken by some form of addiction, be it a drug, be it even, be it even like consuming you know, copious amounts of, of sexual content, be it consuming anything, alcohol, you know, anything. What, what would your advice be for them to get over that in the quickest amount of time, like to break that cycle? This may sound fucked up and borderline predatory, but I hope they hit rock bottom as quickly as humanly possible. Because the true way to overcome drug addiction is when your life is so bad, when you have a hole so big that you're hopeless and you admit defeat and hopelessness. For me, I spent 10 years of doing different kinds of drugs. I stopped drinking, I stopped doing Oxycontin, but then I continued with all these other drugs for years And just sort of got by in life. It wasn't that bad. A lot of people would look at my situation and say, wow, it was terrible. But for me, it wasn't that bad until I hit true rock bottom. And once my friends gave up on me, my family gave up on me, I was in massive debt, I couldn't hold a job, and I realized that I I didn't know everything. 
When I realized I didn't know everything, I accepted help. And that's the key. Whether you have hit rock bottom or whether you're hearing this and you're addicted to drugs and you want to make a change, you have to relinquish that you know everything. You have to accept help, right? And just say, look, I need help from somebody else who's been through this before and find somebody else, whether it's an AA or NA or somebody else who's been through a similar journey that thinks like an addict or an alcoholic or someone who's overcome addiction. What was your method of, of like, was it just rehab that structured you up? Because I know when we were talking pre, pre this podcast, I think you experienced rehab a number of times throughout your journey. It wasn't just a case of like, I'll go to rehab and change my life. You've, you've rehabbed, you fell off the wagon, you've rehabbed again. Talk me through that process of, of, of what's changed during this rehab that didn't happen during the first one or two. So rehab is some time away from drugs and alcohol. And the point of a good rehab is to introduce you to a 12-step program, which gives you a design for living. Because once you go to rehab and you, know, you have these 30, 45 days away from the people, places, and things that you used to do, you're going to go back into that environment. And so you need a safeguard against that. And the only real safeguard is to mitigate the people, places, and things and work a 12-step program that will change the way that your brain responds to life. Because drug and alcohol addiction is not a problem of substance. Drug and alcohol addiction is a problem with the mind and the spirit. The solution to the, to the thought process and the lack of spirit is drugs and alcohol. So in fact, drugs and alcohol worked amazing for me for a long period of time. Weed suppressed my emotions. Oxycontin helped me feel limitless. Alcohol helped me talk to girls, right? It solved a problem which was anxiety and confidence and self-esteem and everything that it solved. But it gets to a point where it stops solving that. And when it does, abstinence will not change your reaction to life. You'll, people will always go back to drugs and alcohol unless they work some sort of 12-step program or have some sort of spiritual experience or spiritual awakening. So in the rehabs, they introduced us to AA and NA, and I didn't take them serious until I hit that bottom. And I said, when I hit my bottom here in Miami, I just said, I know where to go. I knew that I could just walk into that AA room and find a sponsor. When you hit that bottom, did you inherently know within yourself what you were then trying to get away from your whole life? Because to me, it's what, like when I, I was addicted to caffeine and, and addicted to energy drinks specifically and was having four, five, six a day at, at some points and it was just getting to a ridiculous amount, chasing the temporary highs through, through that. And what I noticed was that I had to sit down with myself and say, what, am I, what, what do I not like about my life so much that I'm trying to take these to create the high? And I discovered that I was trying to chase the highs that I wasn't getting from, from boxing training or from other things that I did that I enjoyed that I'd taken out of my life. So what was the thing that you were trying to get away from? Well, I think for me, you know, dopamine becomes a, a really addicting you know, reaction in, in the body. And I had lived a very active life my entire life. And I started to get accustomed to crazier and crazier things. This was getting in fights in hockey. This was allowed in hockey, right? And so this was a ton of adrenaline. Uh, cliff jumping off of 100-foot cliffs into the lake. This was a lot of adrenaline. Uh, you know, taking the scariest ride, say, at the fair. Uh, riding my motorcycle 180 miles an hour. Getting chased by the police at 180 miles an hour. These things produced an exorbitant amount of adrenaline. I became an adrenaline junkie, and I wanted that feeling to be replicated. I, I can't say that I had a specific feeling I was running away from. I just know I was running towards the crazy highs. Like, I like manic levels of joy and adrenaline 
and, and fear to be so much that I can cut through it. But what I didn't know is that that's not a sustainable form of life. But was the adrenaline that you were chasing to, to cover up for the fact that you didn't like how you were living your life? So, you know, turn up, do an account and doing these properties. It wasn't really fulfilling your internal dialogue. And perhaps that's the reason you potentially turn into these substances, right? Totally. I, I think, and, and I may have missed that. Like, I was not proud of myself. Right. I, I just, I wasn't. I didn't actually have internal confidence. Despite the way I look or despite how athletic I am, I didn't have confidence because I was always doing things that I was ashamed of. It, it's great that you've said that because I want to relate this to the audience that are listening to this right now. It's like, you know, what is it in your life that you are not proud of? Because whatever that is, that will lead you towards some form of addiction in your life that you will have to move through. So it's better to understand what you're not proud of now and to become proud of it or, or to own it than it is to formulate an addiction predicated on you not feeling proud, right? Yep. And it's, it's, if, you can, if, you, if you can let that land with you and, and, and move through it, I think that's how you, you create the change that you've created. You got to the point where you were like, do you know what? I have to accept that I'm not feeling this way about myself in this situation. I've got to change it. So the start to the change was you come out of rehab for this last time now your life's flipped. What, what, what did you then start to pivot into to give you the success that you've had now? Obviously, so, it wasn't overnight. No, not at all. And, and in fact, so my last rehab was at 24 years old. And this is what helped me get clean from painkillers and habit-forming drugs. And so I get out. I'm, I'm not drinking. I'm not doing painkillers. Uh, and I start to dig into AA. I get a sponsor. I start to work the, the steps of the program. And I get to the point of the program where you talk about all the resentments that you have, you know, all the people that you still dislike. They talk about resentments being the number one offender of, of, of alcoholics and addicts going back out. So I go through this process with him. And at the end of the fourth step, you know, uh, with him, he says, are you holding anything back? Is there anything that you're not telling me? And I said, no, 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 there's not. But in the back of my mind, I thought I'm going to smoke blunts till I'm 90. Weed is not a drug. I'm never giving this shit up, but I'm not going to tell you. Well, six months later, I was back smoking weed again. And for me, as a supreme alcoholic and addict, that led into a little bit of Xanax, eventually into a little bit of ketamine, some Molly. And for the next six and a half years, I just did the party drugs. And this is where I started coming down to Miami. A year later, I had friends that grew up here in Sunset Island. I would come down. I would stay with them. I was bringing down Molly. I would take those GNC supplement uh, I, would, I, would, I would pull them apart, and I would stuff in Molly ketamine, Xanax, Coke. I would take all the cigarettes out of the, out of the Marlboro. I would perfectly roll 20 joints, the exact same size as the cigarettes, put them all in, and I would vacuum seal it, and I would put it in my luggage. I used to travel with thousands and thousands of dollars into Mexico, into Miami, everywhere with all these drugs. I just thought that I needed them. I, I loved them so much. I loved being that guy with drugs. So and they so became I, a part of you. And here was my thought. If I, as, long as, as long as I only do these party drugs when I travel, my life won't be that bad. When I return home to Vermont, which is where I was living at the time, I'll still be the financial advisor. I had moved into financial advising. So I could still be a financial advisor and manage people's money and just smoke a little weed and do a little Xanax. And so for about six years, I was numb. Every night, I would smoke a blunt, eat some Xanax, and not really remember my life. It was, it was kind of a blurry part of my life. Now, at this time, I was friends with people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Three of my best friends in Vermont were sober, and I would go to meetings with them, still while smoking weed. 
And so I kind of, the program started rubbing off on me, but I still wasn't willing to give up the, the party drugs and the weed. So fast forward to me being 31, uh, the beginning of 2019, I moved down to Miami. Everyone says, you have an addictive personality. You should never move to Miami. This is a terrible idea. I did it anyway. Within three months of living here, I'm out partying every single night. My friends are coming to visiting. I'm going to get tables at Live and Story, and I'm renting stupid cars. I'm staying at the penthouse at the one, and I'm doing lots of drugs. And now I'm doing Coke, which I hate, and I'm not drinking. And I get to this place where I'm all cracked out on Coke, and I'm not drinking, and so I'm like, I got to have a drink because there's only so much weed and Xanax I can take to balance out the Coke, and I feel like shit. I start drinking within three days, blackout multiple times. I get drugged. I get all my jewelry gets stolen, and I wake up in the middle of Flamingo Park on my back, and all I could remember was just like, how the fuck did I get here from a kid who got raised by two incredible parents in an amazing family, about to get drafted to play pro hockey, scholarships for hockey and football, you know, like a belief in God. How did I get here to somebody who's a degenerate who gets robbed, who, by the way, has been robbing kids, you know, in the past? Like, how did I get here? And I, and I called my dad and uh, I said, Dad, I, I got an issue. Like the, the you know, the, the Rolex I had got stolen. And he goes, I don't give a fuck about watch. He goes, but why did it get stolen? I told him, he said, so you're drinking again. I said, yeah, I'm drinking again. He goes, look, you got two options, the way I see it. One, you can bounce in and out of AA for the rest of your life and keep smoking weed and be a fucking loser. Or two, you can go to AA, get sober, complete the 12 steps, work with a sponsor, and actually have a shot at life. And my dad doesn't know much about AA, just like what he's heard and read. You know, he's not an alcoholic or an addict. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was so empty. I was so broken. I was just, I, it was the worst feeling of my life. I felt this huge hole in my chest. And I walked in and uh, the second meeting I went to, I found a sponsor. And I just did everything the guy told me. When you talk about finding a sponsor in AA, what, what does that in, in, like, entail in its entirety? That's such an incredible question because... Okay, my first two stints in AA back in Vermont, I would choose a sponsor that looked like me. I, I would choose the tall, handsome kid that played sports that I, I thought, that's the cool kid. And that, that guy ended up going out and getting fucked up. You know, that guy became, the other guy became my friend instead of what I needed as a sponsor. And so when I came down here to Miami, I walked in. The very first meeting I went to, the kid who spoke was just like me. Kid from New Jersey, sports, handsome, tall kid. And I was like, I think that should be my sponsor. And I called my buddy back at home and he goes, just wait this week and see if you meet anybody else that you relate with a little bit more that works a really hard program that's going to that's gonna call you on your shit because you're a real fucking degenerate. And, and, I, and my friends were giving me tough love at this point. So the very next meeting I go to, this kid speaks. He doesn't look anything like me. He's gay. He has never worked a job that I've worked. He's nothing like me externally nothing like me but I related with the way that he drank and the way that he overcame his problems and how many people spoke up after the meeting and said you've changed our lives you work a really good program and he had many sponsees there like he had like six sponsees there at that one meeting and I said this is the guy I said this is the guy that's going to keep me on my shit and he saved my life you know it's like I still get emotional thinking about it today he said look you if, if you're going to be my sponsee 
you're going to have to go to lengths that you don't want to. You're going to have to do everything I tell you to do in the confines of the program. Are you willing to do it? And I said, yeah, fuck yeah. So these are people that have obviously overcome their own demons and then can then teach you how to overcome yours because of the, of the, they've, they've, they've walked the 12-step path to, to overcome these things. Not only have they walked the 12-step path, they've overcome these things, they have a period of sobriety, they've been through the book with a sponsor, but they're alcoholics and addicts who think the same way that I do, which is I'll lie to myself and tell myself, oh, one hit of weed is okay. Mm. Right? I have this disease that tells me, I could probably smoke like a little bit of a blunt right now and I'm not going to go back to mushrooms and Oxycontin and whatever, all the shit I used to do. But that's a lie. I know that eventually I'll go back there. I've pro- I've done it t- for 10 years. I tried just to do a little bit and I always ended up back. So, you know, most people in AA, 99.9% are real alcoholics and addicts. And if they think the way that I think or that you think, that's the person you want to work with. Because it just literally opens up your door to this whole new world of being able to get up and have someone that understands and meet you where you're at. Whereas, you know, if I try and meet you on addiction to alcohol when I don't even drink, it's kind of like there's a, it's easy for me to say to you, hey, just stop drinking and this and the other. But I, I can't have any concept as to what you're feeling because I haven't experienced what you're experiencing. So I think it's very valuable to have someone like that in your corner exactly. to be able to break the pattern. And that's one one clear way how you've, because this podcast is all about breaking patterns and flipping perspectives in people's lives. And it's one clear way that you've broken a, clearly broken a pattern in your life and then flipped it and gone, right, well, what more can I achieve on the back end of this? So you leave that Alcohols Anonymous program. You're now, you're now, you've now broken it. Obviously, you've got to maintain that throughout your life with discipline now and everything like that. But what were your steps into doing what you've done in business and, getting the opportunities you've got because obviously you've created a lot of relationships with you know 10x so you've you've probably got relationships with grant cardone brandon um you've got relationships with gary brecker you know you've created all these wonderful people around you and this network how how have you gone from that end end of that meeting to to then opening the doors to do this you know i I go to less meetings than i did in, in the very beginning but i still go to to two meetings a week i think it's really important for me as an alcoholic to give back to other alcoholics you know i still suffer from extreme selfishness. So by me giving back and helping other people, I stay connected to the program. I also don't forget about my disease because I have this built-in forgetter. So, you know, I continue to go to AA and I found it very, very useful. I met my mentor in AA at the 7 a.m. meeting. And this was a guy that I really revered. He had two, you know, a beautiful family, a wife, two daughters. He'd been super successful in business. He'd lost his parents when he was young, grew up in the hood in New York City, became a high-powered attorney. Then he ran mergers and acquisitions. He became an investment banker. He started healthcare technologies companies. He just, you know, he sold some of his companies for hundreds of millions of dollars. And he really understands Eastern philosophy, stoicism, and deriving happiness internally. And when I listened to this guy share, and I heard this amalgam of a person that I had never really seen to that point. You know, in AA, there's a lot of people that I'm like, oh, that's cool. But that's not who I want to be like. You know, once I saw this guy, I was like, that's who I want to be like. And so I started meeting with him. Uh, and he very quickly, you know, once the ketamine cleared from my brain and, and, and I started to become articulate, he said, you know, there's some promise in you. Um, you know, well, I'll, I'll meet with you once a week, basically. And I would meet with him every Saturday at 7 a.m. at his house. And that, I think that's a really big key is a lot of people be like, oh, I want to work with somebody. And, and uh, you know, I want to change my life. But they're just not willing to really put in the work of like, 
every Friday. If I ever missed once, he would write me off forever. I guarantee it. I know the type of person he is. But I was at his house at 6.55 every single Saturday morning. I stopped going out. I stopped hanging out with people smoking weed. I stopped hanging out with people partying. When people asked me to go to dinner at 9.30, 10 o'clock, I said no. And I started spending time with this guy. And slowly I started meeting other people as well who were on a similar trajectory. It took me a little while to build this. And not all of it was through Alcoholics Anonymous. But working one-on-one with this mentor, his name is Steve, is what changed my life entirely. He helped me understand business, leverage, what skills I needed to go from a salesperson to a manager to an executive. He helped me understand business valuation, mergers and acquisitions. And not only did he teach me this on the walks that we had together, but he would consistently send me books, podcasts. He would give me exercise, research topics. He made me create business plans. He would say, every week I need you to have a new business idea. Listen to this podcast, create a new business idea, do market research, create a business plan. Whether it's good or not, I need you to do this. And I did it time and time and time again. And so this experience helped accelerate my business acumen very, very quickly. Now, I got to lean on this guy in my journey. I ended up starting a financial technologies co- company with a woman, with his guidance. Not paid, just he would help me you know, as a, as a mentor. And when COVID happened, the company fell apart. We had created a, an app where a consumer could rearrange their bad debt without ever talking to a collection agency. They could negotiate their debt and create a payment plan with the loan originator. But when COVID began, the government extended forbearance and said nobody needs to pay back their loans for three months, and then it was six months. And so our solution had become irrelevant. So the company dissolved, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was lost. I mean, dude, when I tell you lost, I was like, what am I doing with my life? It's covid I, I, I feel so alone. And Steve ran me through an exercise. He said, what are your skills? What's your experience? What's your interest? What's your purpose? And I spent a lot of time in prayer and meditation. And what I, what I realized was through my own personal journey, I liked functional medicine. I liked preventative health, but I didn't know how to get into that industry. So he helped me develop through network, through outreach, through LinkedIn, through research. I started becoming really well-versed and really well-read in this topic. I ended up getting an opportunity to talk to a guy that owned a hormone clinic. And so I go up there, this is, this is in June, three months into COVID, in Aventura. And uh, I go up and I start talking to him and he says, look, I'm looking for a sales manager, but I got to be honest with you, uh, the trajectory of this business isn't good because with COVID, people aren't walking into the clinic anymore. And I said, okay, um, well, how much telemedicine are you doing? And he said, about 25%. And uh, I said, well, I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that said they're relaxing telemedicine laws, so you have an opportunity to prescribe to all 50 states. And he says, yeah, I know, but I don't know how to scale a business, you know, outside of Florida, you know, across the states. And I said, <laughs> I, I, not only am I a sponge, I can learn anything that I'm interested in, but I have a sales and marketing background, and I, we can easily scale this company. And he says, well, what do you know about medicine? I said, zero. And I don't need to know anything because of my propensity to earn, my focus, my drive, and my sales and marketing background. He says, all right, I'll give you a shot. So he gives me a shot. We go from $4 million to $12 million in annualized revenue in the year and a half that I was there. And every step along the way, I leaned on Steve, my mentor. And he would teach me how to get to the next level, when my leverage was, when to negotiate my salary, how, how to how to ask for equity, when maybe even to buy the company. So I go through this journey at this hormone clinic. It was called Health Gains, where I go from sales manager to director of growth to running the company. And I'm like, all right, 
I'm done listening to somebody else. The owner gave me all this freedom, but I need to own my own company, right? I know that my goal is 200 million in 10 years. I'm never going to get there with this company. So my other buddy just had an exit. One of my other buddies just had an exit and they're like, Hey, we want to invest 5 million in Wade, whatever Wade wants to do. Here you go. Figure it out. So I do my due diligence on buying the clinic that I had just built. The guy wants more money than it's worth. I realized that it was never going to get me more than a $50 million exit the way it was structured. Or at least I couldn't see a way. And uh, during this time, I had personally developed an employee, a kid that was an RN making $80,000 a year. I showed him how to be a salesperson making $250,000 a year. I showed him how to overcome his fears, how to increase his relationship, how to have more discipline, how to eat better. I taught him everything. I taught him how to meditate. I taught my whole team, every single person here, how to meditate. And so I embodied personally developing every single employee at that, at that clinic. And so I really got a lot of buy-in from everyone. You know, everyone loved me. And uh, this kid leaves. He takes another job. I tell him, hey, man, all love. And he ends up working with Gary Brecca on the side doing IVs. And he calls me and he says, Wade, I just did an IV on two of the most famous people in the world. In the world, they have a very famous TV show of a, a family. I say, okay, wow. And then he says, I just did an IV on Dave Grutman. I just did an IV on Pharrell. I just did an IV on Grant Cardone. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Who are you working with? And he says, Grant Cardone just bought Streamline Medical and Gary Brecca, and they made 10X Health. And I said, oh, I saw this. Uh, I said, well, how's it going? He says, quite honestly, Gary's a genius, but they don't know how to integrate Gary into, the, into a business model, basically doing what you just did at Health Gains. I said, well, Jay, tell them that you know the most uniquely qualified individual and there's nobody else in the industry that's better suited to be the president of this company. So he tells them, and three hours later, I got a call from Natalie, Brandon Dawson's wife, and she says, we need to have a conversation with you. So before going in there, I just did an exorbitant amount of research about the market, uh, their competition, everybody within the company. I started working with my mentor on like how to position this conversation. And I go in, I sit down, it's Brandon three other executives, and Natalie. And they ask me all these questions. I give them a very quick synopsis of how I built health gains, how I now have a technology platform that could plug into, plug into any functional medicine company that could help it grow and scale across the country. I say, wow, okay, this is amazing. What questions do you have? I say, a lot. And so I quickly go through my questions to ask them how they were thinking about some of the new legislation, some of the new laws going state to state, how to acquire new doctors, uh, how, to, how to manage hormone programs, how, how to split commission with salespeople, and they could answer zero of them. And for somebody like Brandon Dawson to not be able to answer questions when he just acquired a business and had a billion-dollar projection, he was dumbfounded. And he said, okay, we need you. He said to Jeff and Dwayne, the executives, he said, whatever Wade wants for comp and equity, tell me, you know, and then we'll, we'll finalize this thing. So I told him my number on comp. He said, done, no problem, which was, I thought, an outrageous number at the time. And equity, I told them a really you know high number, and we settled halfway. And then I started at 10X Health and became president. So all this engineered off the back of finding the right mentor, because it's like the whole story there, the whole journey that you've been through in order to to acquire that equity, to create that opportunity, has all come off the back of of the, of, of being around Steve, the right person. There's no doubt about it. So how can everyone in this audience find their Steve? You know, I think identifying what it is you value in life is really, really important. So 
I had been lucky enough to hit these different bottoms throughout my life and these different awakenings. One was I thought that my mentor would always be the billionaire on North Bay Road or the billionaire who owned a company who was didn't care about his family, who just had 12 Ferraris and five houses and was the richest financial person in the world. That's what I thought. But when I was a financial advisor, I started making real money and I started buying sick cars and, you know, buying nice things and watches and Louis Vuitton shit. And I never felt happy or content as a result of buying this stuff. And I started to realize, wow, I guess material things are not really going to make me happy. I like them. I will always want them. You know, I certainly want a private jet and I want the penthouse, but it's not what's going to make me happy. And so when I met Steve and I heard him talk about financial success not not defining who he is and not deriving his happiness, I related. And then when I heard him talk about how he managed his businesses and how successful he was and how poised he was and his outlook on life in general, I was like, I really, you know, I really fuck with this guy. And also for me, I feel like, and when someone's choosing a mentor, they should vibe with that person at least to some level. Steve listens to Jay-Z, right? He's, he's, a, he's a Jewish guy from New York with a hood side, right? And that's kind of who I am. I grew up in Vermont, a very you know, predominantly white, non-diverse area, but I love diverse culture, you know, and I love rap music, and I'm very accepting of, of all different types of people. And so when I found this guy who was very similar to me in so many ways— I was just like, I gotta, I gotta work with this guy. And so that's what I would recommend for, for, you know, it's like, Hey, do they have what you want? You know, mentally, spiritually, financially, business wise, you know, and health wise define what's most important to you. And then when you find someone that you vibe with, start working with them. How do you think you added value to Steve in this relationship in order for him to keep wanting to help you throughout that, throughout that journey? I did everything that he said. I never missed. I didn't take anything that he did for me for granted. When when he said create this and do that, I did it and I continued to do it. And as I became smarter and as I moved up and as I absorbed the knowledge, I think I think a lot of my success, you know, was was part of the reason that he, you know, enjoyed working with me so much. Um, because I know that there's other people that he's worked with that that aren't as close, you know, to him. He's become a very very close friend. You know, we haven't unbelievable relationship today you know yes he's my mentor but i love spending time with the guy you know we play tennis on the weekends uh you know i spend time with his family i just really we enjoy each other i just think you're probably the first one that steve's met that's actually took everything he said as crystal and, and gone and, and executed on it i think that's what's what stops a lot of people back from mentorships quick one for you guys this podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com as many of you are probably aware I set up contentremoval.com in 2017 to help people remove all forms of online content. And I've looked after some of the biggest names and brands in the world doing it. And I would love to help you if you're struggling. If you're struggling to remove images, videos, search results, fake accounts, or anything online, go to contentremoval.com and we'll help you today. I remember sitting down on a podcast with um, a guy who's become a kind of mentor to me, Peter Try, and he said to me, uh, on the pod he said to me before and after the podcast he says frankie you're good at podcasting you you can make it but you need to level up you need to level up this this and this and you need to leave australia and go and do this in the world and and if you don't do that you'll just stagnate and everything he told me to do and set up i've gone and i've gone and done mm. 
and we still talk weekly, monthly because of that, because I executed on what he told me to do. You know, this guy built one of the biggest um, condiment companies in the whole of Australia and, and is exporting to the US. Like, he's doing millions and, you know, tens of millions in revenue. So it's like when you get the opportunity to speak to people like that and they offer, and you ask them a question and they offer you advice, do not be ignorant enough to ask the question if you aren't willing enough to take the advice. Sometimes, totally. sometimes it won't be advice you like. I didn't want to leave Australia right then. I didn't want to, I, that, that was daunting to me, but I had no choice because I asked a question. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you asked the question of Steve. Steve gave you the option. You didn't have a choice on whether if you execute or not because me and, you are, me and you are the same makeup in the way that we're bound by, we've asked the question, now we've got to do it. You gave me one before the podcast about a different topic. Now I've got to execute on the answer because I asked you the question, right? Totally. It's like that. that's kind of the, the narrative I want everyone that listens to this to get. It's like, don't ask someone to be a mentor. Don't ask them a question if you were not willing to execute on the advice that they give you because that is where these mentorship relationships end very quickly. And I'm sure you've experienced that before when you tried to approach other mentors in your life or tried to get help from other people you did is that is that is that kind of the experience you had yeah i mean look there was a lot of people who who were willing to offer me information and guidance and just eventually gave up on me because i wasn't doing any of the things that they told me that i should be doing it was a real it's a real slap in the face you know and 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 certainly for a long period of time i did that with my dad you know you have that relationship with with your father at least i have where you know, the guy's very, very bright and he's giving me really, really good advice. But I have sort of that thing in the back of my mind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it kind of when I want to take the advice. And I think that mindset just really, it, it held me back. You know, and the other thing that I always say is someone's ability to take advice that they're given that they did not ask for is a real determinant of their path and their success. Because, right? because that's overcoming your own ego to to because your ego wants to fight hearing those things a hundred percent you know and that's something that i've had to you know get better at it's like even if the person's not qualified to give you the advice that they're giving you just listen and take it you don't have to respond you don't have to have an opinion you know and and it's still something i I struggle with in certain areas today but the better that i get the more open-minded i am the more i can learn from everybody from observing a Grant Cardone, from observing a, a Brandon Dawson close up as business people, how they operate, how they move, their work ethic, what are, what are the standout features you see in those people as entrepreneurs that's allowed them to go on and be successful? Um, Grant is incredibly disciplined and he has incredible structure in the businesses that he's built. Uh, for example, so he has um, his, uh, his sales training academy uh, and it's Every business that he's built, every single employee needs to watch three of those videos every single day, sales training videos, regardless of their position. Doesn't matter if you're a doctor, doesn't matter if you're the, an executive assistant, doesn't matter if you're the secretary. You watch three sales videos every single day. And so this embodies personal development, right? It really does. It, it shows that he cares about helping people become better salespeople, which becoming a better salespeople helps you in every single area of communication in your life. So even if you're the receptionist at 10X or 10X Health or something like that, you have to watch three sales videos. Every, every, every single person. And it's genius because if you think about it, do you really want your front, your front office person answering the phone and being the first person to talk to clients without proper sales training, without understanding the fundamentals of sales, which drive every single business? 
you don't really. It, it, you know? it, it, it's mental, and and it seems so simple now. You're saying it, but it's not something I would have even thought of myself. Yeah. Like what what does Brandon bring to the table in terms? Of what's his biggest? What's your biggest takeaway from him? So there's such an unbelievable partnership because Grant has this crazy sales background and sales training that he embodies into the culture. And then Brandon understands operation and people management and the psychology of humans better than anybody I've ever met. When you join a Cardone Ventures company, a Brandon Dawson run company, whether it's 10X Health or Cardone Ventures, within 60 days of your onboarding, by the way, your onboarding sick, you know, they give you certain books, video tutorials, they, they ask you to teach the material back to your manager. They, they have uh, auditory learning. They have all different ways for people to learn the material so that it just sticks, so that people actually feel like there's something you know, real there and they feel a part of the company. Once you make it to your 60-day, you have a talk with your manager. It's called a personal, professional, financial goal conversation. And you outline, as the employee, your one, three, five-year personal, professional, financial goals and then you meet with your manager and you tell them those nine buckets of goals. Your manager's responsibility is to help you make those real. So if, so if I say to you, hey, I want to buy a house in three years in the Venetian Islands, you would say to me, okay, how much is the house? And I would say about $10 million. You're going to say, how much are you going to need to save up in order to make the down payment on that house? And then what's the monthly payment going to be? And then from there, how much are you going to need to make in, in order to do that? And we're going to start to really define a plan. And then I'm going to tell the employee, go back, create an action plan for each of these things based off of what I've told you. And at the end of this first conversation, the manager's responsibility is to weave in how this employee can achieve all personal, professional, and financial goals one, three, and five years by being a part of this company. And they will explain the employee maturity model. Brandon's employee maturity model is next level. Not only does it show a person the path to go from the position they're at today to the position that they want that's going to help them achieve all the goals. But it gives them the, the competencies and the skills needed to become a manager, to become an executive. And he has the course modules to teach people when they put in the work or hit the metrics needed to let them unlock the next module and help them actually move up through the company. So, this, so this is how you essentially retain staff in any business. You create an ex, uh, an extension model that allows that employee to achieve every goal they so desire within inside that business by, I presume then, by having uncapped potential in sales. 100%. Well, it could be sales. They could you know, go to uh, man- manager, executive, you know, depending upon what they want to do. But, but everyone's learning sales so they can clip commission from from different variants, no matter what position they're in. So even a manager can clip commission, right, at, at a company like that because essentially they've been taught sales and there there are sales that happen. So even though the role could be manager and they could be best at that, they could still flip it and turn into a sales role and generate income within that business. So there are overrides on managerial positions. that So there is, you know, a compensation structure there. But what the fundamental value of sales really is is if you learn sales so well that you can sell to the customer and make a commission and you become an excellent salesperson, you can now sell to your employees to motivate them to make more money for you. And then if you can move up into an executive position, now what you're doing is you're selling your managers on how to motivate and manage employees. And then for me, like when I, when I was president, all I'm doing all day long, and I would tell my employees this every single day, 
I would say, guys, what do you think I do all day long? I sell. I sell to you. I convince you that it's important to manage employees in a certain way to drive maximum revenue for this business. I sell our vendors on why they should give us better deals because of the trajectory of this company. I sell other partners on the value of doing business with us and why they should do business at a lesser percentage than they want. I'm selling. I'm even selling the problems and the solutions that we talk about in executive means. I'm selling those to Brandon in a way that's going to be the best outcome for the business and for the employees and getting people on my side. All I'm doing is selling all day long. And so the sales training is, is really above and beyond creating a commission from closing a client. It's a way in which you can accelerate communication to move up the chain because life is about sales. I, I love it, man. And I, I agree with you on every level because I, I just think the way that they're doing it there is, com- is completely polar, polar flipped from the way most companies do it. Most companies have managers that manage that haven't touched sales or don't even understand the psychology of sales and then they have sale salesmen that sell but w- what you're essentially saying is that all the managers know how to sell inherently to but then they just want to manage they have an overrider on the fee but then but then obviously that they, they, they've got that they, they're constantly touching base with the sales and they're having to sell the salespeople into why they should be driven to sell more stuff predicated on the salesman's goal that he has internally within himself because now the manager understands from day one the manager understands how to motivate every single person because they understand the internal goals of the employee exactly. which most companies have no clue what like if, if I, I could go i could walk into half the companies in, in any country in the world and and say to them to, to the sales manager or the manager even or the or the director and say do you understand what stephanie wants and they'll say she wants money or she wants this or she wants that but no stephanie's dream is to buy a three-bed house in this area and have a and have a pet chihuahua but if they don't understand that and they've not done what you guys have done that when she's when she's demotivated they can't get into get into her internal psychology to be able to flip her perspective in that moment that's it that's why what you've just said to me is so powerful Totally. That's how I would motivate employees. When, when, when one of my sales guys was down and he's not following up and he's not doing his thing, I would literally go and say to him, like, Mike, how are you doing getting that bag for your wife? Yeah, because that was, that was his goal. That was it. You know, it's, like, it's, it's crazy. It actually makes me emotional to think about that kind of stuff because like, that, that's the shit that just flips people. You know, when like, Mike knows that I know that it's so important for him to provide for his wife, you know? Yeah, and and if that's if that is your goal and you understand it, I think what I want a lot of you to take away from this conversation that we're having is the fact of like you have to understand from today from listening to this podcast, you have to understand what metric you're optimizing for and what your actual goal is because you can't hit what you can't see, and it's like you know that that internal that internal training can be can be plugged into any business over a long enough time horizon probably over 12 month period you can you could plug that in which is great but if you're someone who wants more out of life which most of you do because you're listening to this kind of podcast you're not listening to any old podcast you want to today get out a journal i'd say and 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 start to optimize okay what are what are my three crucial goals to achieve this in the next 12 months what are my three in the next three years what are my three in the next five years and start now, now you can see what you're trying to hit, so you can get things straight, right? Because how many people are? How many people don't have goals? 
it's the very first thing that I do with all of my clients. I do this one, three, five year personal, professional, financial goal. And it's crazy how many successful people I work with. Guys that run multi-million dollar companies that have never acutely defined their goals. So walk me through acutely defining the goal and how they can acutely define a goal. So if you, if you look at you know, these three buckets, personal, professional, financial, you can start to look at, okay, personally, what is it that I want to achieve? Right? For me, I wanted to become healthier. I wanted to get in better shape. I wanted to become smarter. Uh, I wanted to become better at tennis. And so from there, I had to define you know, what actions I needed to take. So in order to become healthier, I needed to eat less sugar. I, started, I needed to follow my macronutrients and my micronutrients, no more processed, no more fried food. Um, to, to get in better shape, I needed to follow a set workout routine six days a week, and I needed to start tracking it, and I needed to start working with a coach. Tennis, I needed to start working with a coach one day a week. Uh, everything I would define and I would break down. And so once you have the overall goal and you break down the action plan, now you just need to calendar the habits necessary to complete the action plan. So now I don't even think about my big goals anymore. I don't even think about my action plan. I just wake up and look at my Google Calendar and it legitimately says every single, like I'm talking, my Google Calendar is crazy. When I wake up at 5 a.m., the first thing is pray, meditate, it's pray, hydrate, meditate. Then read, walk, you know, eat, then work out. Like I have it all calendared. So, so everything you put into this Google Calendar, so that it literally it dictates your day. So you can't get no meetings booked in when you're meant to be out there having a walk. So do you, so you've set, you've, you've literally set your goals at the, at the three key stages of whatever you're optimizing for in, in what was it? Personal, professional and financial. And then what you do is you micro break down the habits that are going to get you to those goals. Exactly. And, and then, and then you don't focus on the goal anymore because the goal will take care of itself predicated on the habits that you put into yourself. Exactly. If it's like, Hey, if I want to become a manager, I know from a sales guy to a manager, I'm going to need certain competencies of understanding the psychology of people, how to manage, you know, and so I need to work with, for me, it was working with a mentor and then watching Alex Ramosi videos, watching Jordan Belfort videos, reading certain books, you know, and I would just calendar those things. And then as my business acumen got higher, when I got into the position where I was able to manage people, I was living and breathing and eating this because I had an hour a day on my calendar where I was just fostering this new growth and this new way of learning. How many months, weeks did it take for the calendar to start being seen in your reality as making a dramatic change? Um, about six months into being the manager at Health Gains, and, and at this time I had been working with Steve for probably, well, no, even before that, because when I joined Health Gains, it was already, I'd say within three months of working with, with Steve, I, was, I became so locked in that my calendar what was, what was going to solve you know, a lot of my issues. He also told me too, he said, look, when you make to-do lists, it's fine. You make a to-do list on a piece of paper and then go through your to-do list prioritize what needs to be done, chunk those to-do items into your calendar and throw that stupid-ass to-do list away and don't ever look at it again. Calendar shit. And he would say, become an executive. Calendar everything. Do away with your to-do list. So it's literally a case of becoming an executive of your own life so that you fully own your time. That's it. You just nailed it, you know? It's like people don't think about optimizing their lives. It's like, okay, we have executive meetings for business. We have KPIs 
right? Key performance indicators. We have data, we have metrics, we have inputs. And so we're looking at financial statements for business. We're looking at executive meeting notes for business. And then we're going to make changes accordingly and optimize. Why do we not do this with our own health, with our own mind, with our own acumen, with our relationships, with ourselves? We don't optimize shit. You know, it's like, and as soon as I started looking internally and truly observing myself, that's the other key. You said, what can people do? They can take out a notebook and write some goals that they have and start to, you know, think about what it is that they want out of life and then start observing what you currently do. A lot of people aren't even aware of the time that they waste, of the shitty food that they eat, of the, of the lack of their exercise, of the poisonous negative people that are sucking out of their life. And if they can just spend a week observing, like, hey, I woke up today, I laid in bed for 45 minutes and scrolled Instagram. I make my clients do this. I want you to observe your current routine. And it always looks like this. Woke up without an alarm around 8 o'clock, scrolled Instagram for 45 minutes, poisoned your brain, uh, ate some shitty food on the way out, ordered Starbucks, had a you know shitty meal, got to work late, you know, just went through my day, and then I went home and I was so beat I turned on Netflix. You know, and it's like, okay, well, and then I went to dinner with my friends at Flanagan's and had a couple beers and I got home and I got fried food in my stomach and I had a couple beers and I felt like shit and I woke up the next morning feeling like dick. Well, okay, now, now at least we're looking at your life and now from there, we're not going to change everything at once. It's not sustainable and I never do this with any client. I say, okay, we're going to define what's optimal. We're going to define where you're at today and we're going to make small sustainable changes Because this is a rearrangement of your life for the remainder of your life, not for three months and then quit. So if you're waking up at 8 a.m., you're not going to go to 5 a.m. We're going to make maybe 30-minute or 15-minute increments. We're going to start adding healthy things in. We're going to do what we call habit stacking. If you have some shitty habits in the morning, rather than just wipe them all away, we're going to stack some good habits on top of them. Oh, you scrolled Instagram for 45 minutes. We're going to cut it down to 30 minutes. And then for 15 minutes... You're going to actually eat something healthy or hydrate or meditate. We're going to stack something positive on top of your current shit habits. I love it because at the end of the day, what you're essentially doing is you're making people face the reality of their own life. Yep. And when you face the reality of your own life and you see it in front of your eyes, the same way, the similar way that I overcame this energy drink addiction, it's like, well, look, bro, you're having four a day, right? I tried to go to one to two half a can all that stuff i tried it but 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 what i did was i documented how many i was having i looked at it on a piece of paper and was like fuck this i'm out and i just checked out completely and i rattled myself off the same way any any addict to anything would rattle off alcohol rattle off heroin rattle off any form of drug same way was me was my my body started to shut down a little bit in in certain respects and Mm. brain fog and headaches and all this stuff because i'm i've gone from drinking thousand milligrams plus caffeine a day to 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 zero um or maybe 40 milligrams just to just to at least at least give me some brain function and it's like well that's what you have to do but you can you can only do that when you can see it if you can't see your own stuff and you think okay i'll fix this little basically people are out there turning little screws in a whole panel which is missing screws like to think that it's going to hold the whole panel on and it's like that's not going to do it look at your whole life and then, like you say, now optimize. Now you can see the whole picture because you because you can clearly see it, and you can't deny it. You can't den- you can't deny what you can see with your own eyes when you when you do it in the way that you've just said. Yeah, I mean, self self awareness and self observation is really the key, and and really being critical. 
one of my mentors always says that success is subtractive. It's like, first we need to look at what do we need to remove from our lives? We need to remove certain vices. We need to remove certain people. We need to remove certain habits. And it's like, rather than pardon these people in our lives or pardon these vices, like, no, let's get critical about this shit is holding me back. Or even worse, I suck at this thing. Or I'm really, you know, acting like an asshole in this area. Be hypercritical. Just suppress the ego and look at what can I improve, not, you know, what is everyone else doing to harm me or what is the shit doing that's, you know, not affecting me that badly. Get critical about it. One of the things that's got me got me hyped and I've been looking at and looking into doing for quite a while has, has been this 10x health assessment thing that, that, that I've been speaking to you and Colin about. And obviously I've signed up to this and now, you know, I believe on Thursday this week I'm, I'm getting all my bloods taken and I'm getting the, the genetic tests and all this kind of stuff. Walk me through what this tests and what these tests showed you about your life and how your life has changed from from since you understand these biomarkers. Because I think a lot of us, especially people like myself that are trying to operate, trying to be the the best that they can be at communicating, podcasting, business, life, just in in all around hum, as a as a human, you know, we want more out of ourselves. So, like, why wouldn't we look at our bloods? But just walk me through what what it's shown you. A tremendous amount. Um, I can look at the actual ROI on my happiness, my health, and my bank account after doing these tests and getting on the protocols, and my my trajectory is exponential. So, I've done blood work with other providers in the past before, um, and you know, and they'll look at like a, fun- a typical functional doctor will look at your hormone levels, you know, testosterone, maybe some cortisol, total and free testosterone, or, you know, a couple of biomarkers. And usually they'll just dive right in and and put you on uh, some sort of hormone replacement therapy. 10X looks at 72 plus different biomarkers in your body. So they're looking at all of your hormone levels, all the levels that are affecting your hormone production and consumption. They're looking at your liver, adrenal, thyroid functionality. They're looking at your glucose control, how well you manage sugar. They're looking at... uh, levels of inflammation within your body. Most people are not looking at homocysteine. This is a measure of inflammation within your body. Most doctors don't even understand what this is, right? And so 10X is looking at so many different biomarkers that they're making more accurate protocols as a result of all the information they have to help someone optimize their lives. Oftentimes, helping them alleviate underlying conditions that people didn't even know that they had. They were just little tweaks that they thought they had to live with. They thought it was a result of getting old. You know, oh, I have less energy. I'm not sleeping as well. My metabolism is lessened. I'm holding on to a little bit of fat. I don't recover the way I did. My mood is affected. I have a little bit of brain fog. All of these things that we think, oh, we're just getting a little bit older and it's the way that we have to live. This is normal. It's not normal. And that's what 10X really uncovers is that there's so much that you can do and that they can prescribe as a result of this blood test. And I'm not just talking about prescription medication or going right to hormones. They have so many different um, you know, forms of protocol, whether it be supplementation or a change of diet or time when you eat, that are actually going to help someone optimize. So you, so you from, from this blood test and from this uh, gene test, you've even optimized to the point of view of you've even changed your meal times? A hundred percent. That's something that they told me. And, and it's not necessarily that this will be the case for everybody. But based on my blood work, what they told me is 
So they're looking at something called HA1C, which is a measurement of your blood glucose. Right. And for most people, if that's elevated, it's a little bit problematic. We need to eat less sugar uh, because we may be working towards towards diabetes or, or pre-diabetes. For me, they said, you are bottomed out. Your blood sugar is so low all the time. You need to start eating 30 minutes after you wake up. Not sugar, but you need to start eating some protein 30 minutes after you wake up. And this will start to get your body and your metabolism going. At the time, I was doing intermittent fasting, not even because it was a fad or because you know people talk about the benefits. There are tremendous benefits to it. Uh, for certain people. But for me, I was just stopping eating at at, uh, at 8 p.m. And I wouldn't eat until 1 o'clock the next day. So whatever, 17-hour you know, fast per se. I felt pretty good. I felt you know energized in the morning. But I was also drinking a, a bit of coffee. And my blood sugar was really low. And they said, look, start eating some protein in the morning. Now, I, I get salt first thing in the morning. I hydrate properly. And then within 30 minutes of waking up, I'll have protein. And for me, a little bit of carbs as well. And I feel unbelievable. I feel the best I've ever felt. From a perspective of energy, mental clarity, my ability to perform at the gym, muscle recovery, everything's just increased because of this. So it's not a case of like, there's a lot of people doing podcasts at the moment that are going out saying that you should implement this, this and this and this. And what you guys, you guys aren't doing that. What you're saying is first, you need to understand where you're at. Then by collecting your goals, we can, we can understand where you've got to go, but we can, we can we can clearly see from this blood test from every way where you've got to move to and what you've got to do. And it's kind of because I believe that this was developed by insurance companies to tell the, um, the, the death rate of the people that they're insuring. Right. So exactly. And so the beauty of Gary Brecka's understanding of health is that instead of being a traditional doctor or a functional doctor, Gary was an actuary for insurance companies, which means he was utilizing this information to accurately predict when someone was going to die. So he had more information on humans than any other doctor out there. Most doctors don't even know when their patients die. They're not like actually the insurance company is the one who's got the data. And so Gary started looking at this and saying, how can I change this instead of predicting these, you know, what biomarkers are going to increase the likelihood of death? How can I use this for the better? And he started Streamline Medical Group. So his frame of reference on optimizing everything needed to help people live longer, it's the best I've ever seen. Not to mention, you take the blood work, and now what you said is so spot on. Because the genetic test, the methylated genetic test that 10X does, will show you your nutrient deficiencies that you should be supplementing for according to your gene breaks. Yeah, most people are just supplementing for the sake of supplementing, and I, and I was doing this. I'm doing the same. Yeah, yeah. So I was just and look and and I and I was a health freak before I took the genetic test. Like my own personal journey got me into health. I was following Sinclair, Huberman, um, Rhonda Patrick. Like I was following a lot of these functional doctors and taking their advice. And I'm taking 20 supplements when I started this before I took the genetic test. Because they all recommended these supplements that are good for overall health, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're right for my body. And so once I started working with Gary, he was like, look, there are five methylated genes in your body. These are responsible for how your body converts anything you put into it. So if you eat some food, your body's going to convert it into its usable form of energy. And if you have breaks in your methylation cycle, it won't convert it optimally 
thus creating mood, mind, and gut-related issues. And I was having gut-related issues. I was having a little bit of brain fog. I was definitely having some anxiety. And I take this simple test. It's a cheek swab. I put it back in the envelope. The results come back. And 10X says, hey, you have a partial gene break here and two full gene breaks here. As a result, you need to be on this multivitamin, L-methionine, 5-methylfolate. Five, five, um, um, five and I said, okay, that's it? They said, yeah. And I took all the other supplements that I was on, and I got rid of 15 of them. So, and, so, and now I'm just on what's right for my body, not what everyone else thinks is good for longevity. So for someone like me, the way that I've done it in life, which is totally wrong, that I've learned now is like, I've gone, okay, I need vitamin C, I need zinc, I need magnesium, I need creatine, I need everything else that, you know, I need pre-workout if I need, if I need to go to the gym, everything's like, you know, all these supplements that you take because you just do not know any better. And like society, it's not that any of them are bad. It's just that they're not optimized for my body. Cause I have, I've never, I've done blood tests and usually on the blood test, we're just checking what my testosterone levels are at essentially. Right. To see where, see how far away I am from having to go on TRT potentially as a, as a man because that's all you're worried about as a right. man, right? Yeah. You're just like, okay, do I have to go on at 35? Do I have to go on at 40? Do I have to go on at 45? But I'm going to have to go on at some point because like you, you, your life's going to be hell if you don't, right? That's all you're thinking about. But this is about like you know maybe I need NAD, maybe I need this, maybe I need that. It's like but understanding your biomarkers allows you to understand that. You, you can't understand any other way, can you? No, no, not at all. And, and so as a result of my genetic test, I'm taking these three supplements that are helping me optimize my methylation cycle. Then I do a blood test. And I had done 15 blood tests before that with top functional doctors. I had consulted for 50 functional doctors across the United States. But when I did it with 10X, they said, wow, your natural testosterone production is through the roof. I had an 1120 natural testosterone at 33 years old. It's very, very high. They said, but your free testosterone, the amount of testosterone that your body's actually utilizing is low. It was an eight. It should be like a 21 to 24. And they said, your sex binding globulin hormone is a 92 that's through the roof. Your testosterone that's getting produced is getting bound up in your liver and we need to find a way to free it up. All I did is go on DHEA and something called Tonkat Ali and it reduced and I took a little bit of something called DIM. And it reduced my sex binding globulin hormone, freed up my testosterone, and now my free testosterone is optimal. I've never taken a hormone in my life. I've never been on testosterone, no peptides, nothing. I just take some supplements. One, one of them is a Chinese herb as a result of the blood test. And most doctors miss everything that 10X just recommended. Yeah, yeah. and, and most, would have, most would have probably put you on test which you already had enough of or, just, or they would have put me on clomid you know they would have yeah. tried to bring my estrogen down in order for me to free up testosterone they would have messed with my other yeah you know, with my and, other hormones for no reason and by putting in these different compounds like people like the gym bro compounds that you're taught to put in, in gyms like that that you know a lot of people that i've seen in professional sports or other other things have been on like testosterone they've been on clenbuterol they've been on winstrol they've been on all these different compounds you know dianabol all this different stuff depending on what they're trying to achieve but that's not really your core issue your core issue is not being able to your bot your own natural body not being able to process what it needs to process and function the way it functions when you tidy that up you you perhaps put on more lean muscle by being completely natural than you than you have on the stuff anyway 100 percent 
and it's more maintainable, right? One hundred percent. And and the key is people just need to take the diagnostics to understand what's right for their body. People ask me this all the time: What supplements are you on? And my response is the supplements that are right for my body based off a blood test and a genetic test. Don't take what I take because it might not be right for you. The, the only supplement I'll say that's right for everybody, truly everybody, is creatine monohydrate. It's a commonly misunderstood supplement. What's misunderstood about it? Well, back in the day, they used to have these press pills and a lot of pre-workouts have creatine. And so people think that creatine... Uh, has stimulants in it, right? That it has caffeine and that it has these other, you know, ingredients. It did back in the day, but now they sell, and they, they have in the past too, but people are understanding there's something called creatine monohydrate, which is just creatine or micronized creatine, 100% creatine. This doesn't speed you up. It has no stimulants. It has no caffeine. It has no adverse effects. It doesn't make you retain water weight. In fact, Creatine can make you like the only thing that'll do, it can make you a little bit dehydrated if you don't have enough sodium or magnesium or potassium. But then you should just be having an electrolyte pack every morning anyway, the way that I do, and you'll be golden. But creatine helps with muscle repair. It helps with endurance. It helps with, uh, you know, recovery in general. It can help strengthen bones over time. It can help mitigate osteoporosis. Like there are tremendous health benefits to taking for most people, five grams of creatine, you know, depending if you're over 160 pounds, you know, five grams of creatine is adequate. Maybe if you're a, a female at 120 pounds, three grams is adequate. And it's not something you can overdose on, is it? No, you you just pee it out. I take 10 grams of creatine a day. And if there's not, if there's anything extra in my body, just pees it out. But I've noticed a major difference by getting the adequate amount of protein for my body. For, it's between 0.7 and 1.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. I do one right now, so, that, so I'm 180 pounds. Um, I'm having 180 grams of protein per day. I'm having 10 grams of creatine. I'm staying properly hydrated. I feel like $100 million. I literally went from, 100 and, I went from 185 pounds at 9% body fat, which for me, I looked a little fluffy, believe it or not. I know it's going to sound insane for people. I started really dialing in my macronutrients. I dropped 10 pounds. I got down to 175, looking like a specimen. I'll say this not being cocky, but I literally was so chopped up. You would be like, holy shit. And now I'm starting to put on lean muscle. I'm going up. I'm actually, I'm at 185 right now, and I'll continue to go up by slightly modifying my protein, carbohydrate, and fat intake. And, and that's all from just understanding these clear laid metric paths what you're deficient in input stuff you're deficient in take out all the stuff i mean for me once i understand through this test what i'm deficient in and what i can get rid of all these supplements i just take every day just because i think they're good right you know, and i can just put in what i actually need it's probably actually going to save me money 100 percent. there's no doubt people are always like wow this is expensive like What's expensive is that you're taking a bunch of stuff right now that you don't need. And by the way, once you get on the right protocol, you're probably going to start cutting out other things that you didn't even realize weren't contributing to your overall health and wellness goals. Once you see these diagnostics, you can never unsee them. It's a law of exposure. You can never go back. Is there, is there obviously, look, there's some places where this won't be available for some people. In, in in the places that this isn't available, what what is the best route for them to be able to see their biomarkers, right? Because I presume there's other companies and other places that you can get these biomarkers checked. Um, is it, What kind of blood test should they be looking for? 
Well, certainly in Europe, there's there's a lot of functional doctors that that I'm aware of, and, and just looking for a functional doctor who has uh, you know a more holistic view than just hormones. So, you want to look for somebody that's looking to optimize for longevity and that understands you know a large subset of biomarkers. Call it fifty plus biomarkers, and so just ask like, hey how many biomarkers are being pulled in this blood test? You know, and if it's 10 to 15, that's your typical low T center, you know, typical mom and pop, you know, testosterone doctor. But if we're talking about really taking a holistic view, it should be over 40, closer to 50 biomarkers. You know, 10X is doing 72. If you don't have access to 10X, make sure it's somebody who's very comprehensive in the way that they look at medicine. I saw Derek from More Plates, More Dates, uh, the YouTube channel. He he did a test the other day, that, and his it was in America somewhere, and he did 100 biomarkers. What's the difference between the 72 and the 100 biomarkers in, in something like that? Uh, so there's all different. Uh, 10X has extended panels as well. Yeah. Uh, so it just depends on you know how much you really want to dial in. Like if there are other specific factors that you want to look at, you can add different panels. I can't say exactly what the what the thirty panels that he was looking at are. I mean, you could look at you know five hundred, a thousand different you can look biomarkers. At, you, you can look at a thousand in your body. It's, it's there's so many different things you could you could look at, right? Like we even did. Gary used to do this thirty five thousand dollar blood test, where it would the results of that are what would help someone predict their death. You know, this is hundreds of different biomarkers. Now, from what we found, the, you know, 70-plus biomarkers that 10X does, those are a really, you know, it's it's an affordable and holistic view and approach for everything that would be recommended for the most part. You know? And invariably, it's something that's going to put you on the right trajectory as in to feel better within yourself. The, the, the reason, I'll just be totally honest with you, the reason I invested in this blood test and, and I'm doing it myself is because I, I'm like, well... One, I don't. I want to stop wasting my time in terms of like you know. I I want to feel the best I can in the fastest way possible, and two, I believe that it will make me more money. I believe it will it will make me more successful in all areas of my life. I think I'll I'll have better anger management at certain things that piss me off right now. Won't piss me off when I've got a clear head. Like there's there's lo- there's lots of dumb dumb things that I feel like I condition myself to do because perhaps I'm foggy at certain points in the day and I react in certain ways. And I'm like, rather than saying, oh, that's just how Frankie is, which is probably how I've said all my life and giving myself the convenient excuse. I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Is that because I'm not feeling optimal at those hours of the day? And if someone does something in those hours of the day, I react in a certain way because of that. 100%. So it's like, you know, these are the reasons I'm going deep into into trying to hack my body back to be an optimum, you know? For sure. And I, I found those exact same things. My mood, my energy, my mental clarity, and my propensity to earn all were enhanced after doing the protocol as a result of these two diagnostics. If you were to put a percentage terms on how much more healthy you feel or how much, um, and real percentage terms, not just say 100%, but like real percentage terms in, in, in terms of like, can you give real revenue numbers in how much more money you're earning now predicated on these health tests? Or is there, is there any optics you can give into, into how much more productive your life is compared to from before and afterwards? Well, uh, I was making 180k a year when I first joined at Health Gains, and now I'm seven figures. Yeah, so that's in three. That's in three years. That's that's my that's my ROI. So, so it's 90 percent. Yeah, dude. And my and my overall mental clarity, my happiness, my mood. It's I would I would put it right in the same category. 90 percent. So th- this is something that like 
I know everyone should do it, but specifically anyone who's trying to, uh, anyone who's the entrepreneur that's doing, you know, they're doing six figures, seven figures. They're trying to go from 5 million to 10 million. They're the kind of people that really want to, you know, they need something else. Even that, even the clarity they get from understanding themselves better is going to make them think of better ideas, implementing their business. And we're talking here, we're talking to get all this sorted and the first month or two of supplements, we're talking a couple of thousand dollars here. We're not talking, we're not talking life changing money. Right. And that investment in my mind is, is, is the, the surest investment I've ever probably made. It's, like, it is a true investment with an ROI, you know, and there's, there's just, there's no way that it's going to depreciate. Like you taking advantage of the protocol prescribed through these tests is just going to your body, your mind, your finances will appreciate. There's, it's a guarantee. Well, here's the thing, right? Years ago, when I saw Grant Cardone talking about this, I thought, ah, oh, he's trying to sell me something, right? But then I started to see Dan, Dana White turn his life around like that with, with Gary, and I started to listen to Gary himself quite consistently on social media and stuff. And then I started, and then I saw what David Grutman did with his body and the way he transformed himself. And I, I thought, fuck me, these are too high. These are two very high profile, very successful people. Let themselves go in their body slightly, got a little bit soft, got a bit flabby. But now they're now now they're turned up and they're looking kind of dialed in. They're looking machines that that they're, they're, they're ripped to like fifty odd years old. Like I'm, I'm like, this this is like, you know, for me to grab hold of this at thirty five, it could it's, it could be life changing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that that that's how I was kind of like sold into this way of thinking. Like it's. it's it would be dumb not to know. Absolutely. But I'm saying that anybody who listens to this podcast don't, they don't even have to go through XYZ company. It's like, just, just get your bloods done at, at any company that measures over 50 biomarkers, wherever you are in the world, and get a... Can you break down this gene test so that people can understand that and what that shows as well? Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of different types of genetic tests out there. You know, there's a 23andMe genetic test that'll show you your ancestry, um, which is cool. Uh, but it's not going to be anything actionable to say, hey, here's what you can change. There's an epigenetics test, you know, a company called True Diagnostics owned by Ryan Smith. Great insight. It'll tell you your internal age, your external age, some biological factors, but it doesn't give you a lot of insight as to what you can supplement with, where your nutrient deficiencies are, what you can change. I got to say, a methylated genetic test, only looking at the five core methylated genes is what's most going to make a change in somebody's life and that's what 10x does is a methylated genetic test there's other people that do methylated genetic tests i'm 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 sure of it um potentially in other countries i know in the united states that there are but the reason those are so important is because those are the only genes responsible for actually converting something that you put in into your body all uh, every other gene all 3300 genes in your body they're fixed they tell you that you know you have brown eyes and dark hair and white skin like it's a fixed trait the methylated genes tell you, hey, you have a break here, so you're not properly converting, call it folate, and, you're, and now it's into methylfolate, and we need to add nutrients in so that you optimize. That's why that test is so important. So there's only, there's only five genes that you can really control and want to know the data on, really, that are going to optimize your life. There, yeah, there, there are other genes that can be important, but these are the ones that control mood, mind, gut-related issues, and I've seen them mitigate anxiety, ADD, gut issues, even autoimmune disorders. It's crazy the things I've seen mitigated. 
I believe from some of the data that I've read and from from speaking to other people that if you can fix your gut, your gut your gut is um, has a lot to do with your thought process as well and and your intuition and everything else like that. It run your gut runs your life more than your more than your brain even does in Absolutely. a lot of cases. Like if you don't fix your gut and have your 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 gut balanced, I think that really does affect everything you do. There's no doubt about it. I, from uh, from my own personal experience, I mean, I struggled terribly with gut related issues. This was a big game changer, right? Like changing some of my diet, but then getting on the su- the proper supplementation. I no longer have gut issues. My mood, my energy, my mental clarity is way different as a result of mitigating the gut issues yeah i I think it's a no-brainer for a lot of people to get their health in the forefront of their mind whatever you're trying to achieve it's like if if you can take the the key takeaways i want you guys to take away from this podcast is simply this like get your goals sorted you you know for, for your three segments of life understand what your goals are your top three priorities are break those down stick these things in your calendar like like Wade said, like you know, you own your time, and then also get go and get a blood test, go and get these genetic tests, go and find out more about yourself than you've ever learned in your entire life. Don't don't just trust what your doctor's saying to you because I've 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 got a very good doctor, very good doctor in the UK, but he just doesn't know this stuff. Like in terms of like because he's not, he's just your general practitioner. That's right. just and you know they're nice people. They're trying to do the best for you. But if they there's there's podcasters and there's, and there's people that love podcasting and love the art and love the essence of it, two different totally different equations. Same with doctors. I'd advise you all to go and figure out what works for your body and get that straight. But Wade, if I was to ask you to leave this audience with with something today that can move their life forward, just that one percent. But it's the last thing you can leave to the world. It's the only bit of information you could leave this planet. What would it be? Invest in yourself. Uh, spend money on your health, your mindset, and the skills that you develop. Stop wasting money on the new bag, on the new clothes. Invest in yourself. That could be through a coach. That could be through medical diagnostic. And that could be through info products, courses online. Spend money investing in yourself. Your life will change. I love it, man. And you're not wrong. I think I was saying to you before this as well, like every dollar i've spent traveling around the world i'm just traveling around the world learning so it's not you know it's an investment it's not it's it's cost me a lot of money but i wouldn't i wouldn't want any of the money back for for the amount of value that i've got in my mind and for the way that i hopefully can touch people through this through this medium through podcasting and influence their mind too so thank you very much for your time mate guys do me a solid favor go I'll, I'll i'll drop the links to wade stuff um under this video under this podcast uh, if you're on apple or spotify subscribe share this with all your friends i appreciate you all on every level and i hope this adds a lot of value to your life much love guys do me a solid favor drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next